Welcome to this episode of Portraits of Music. I'm Ross Sievertson. And I'm Clay Couturio, music director and conductor of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being here on Thanksgiving week. Um, we're talking with Kat Glaze and Rick Holt and David Loverian with Five Second Rule. Uh, and we're talking about the December 2nd holiday classics concert, which is one of our favorites for the patrons. I want to thank all y'all for being here this afternoon and uh, spending some time with us. It's going to be a great concert, always is. Maestro, Mm -hmm. do you want to kick us off and take it away? Well, I'd like to, first of all, just ask you that are here to to tell us about Five Second Rule. How did the group form and how long have you been performing and, and what is it <laughs> <laughs> what is five second yeah. rule? i think well, david's best to answer that one yeah well we started 15 years ago this is we actually just celebrated our 15th anniversary a month or two ago and we started out as a pub dwelling irish folk band and uh we we rick and i had met um, many years ago and and were part of the local Irish music community. And uh, we pulled together some friends for a concert at the Meyerson by a, a local uh, wind ensemble called Lone Star Winds. And uh, they desperately needed a Irish pub band for one of their pieces on a concert very near to St. Patrick's Day, which was unfortunately scheduled the same day as the North Texas Irish Festival. And there was <laughs> there was not a Irish band within 500 miles of here that was available. So we founded a new band and uh, played mm-hmm. that concert and we had so much fun, we stuck together. And um, many years later, we uh, a couple of the musicians had moved on and we were able to uh, meet and uh, invite Ian Gill to join, uh, who Rick knew through his church. And a couple of years later, uh, we invited Cat to join us uh, as our new fiddle player. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it's it's been a great adventure. We've done so many f- pubs and festivals and charitable events and and uh, concerts and and yet this feels like something brand new this is the first time we've been in front of a symphony orchestra which is really really exciting and i want to point out that we've had both ian and david on the podcast previously and in last i don't know if it's last season or season before so for our listeners not that there's a set number of anything but what constitutes an irish pub band what what set of instruments or is is there a set of instruments or well, it has probably a lot to do with uh, your repertoire. Mm-hmm. There are certain tunes that are very traditional that you hear in pubs in Ireland, songs and tunes, which are instrumental songs, if you will. So <clears throat> that repertoire represents, you know, the pub atmosphere and that kind of thing. And the instruments, too, they're mainly folk acoustic instruments. Mm-hmm. With the- Such as? Uh, well, fiddle for one. Fiddle, yeah. <laughs> um, Rick plays the baron um, and various percussion th- instruments. And, and what is a baron? 
Uh, the Bowron it's a it's an Irish drum. It's a it's a frame drum, which is typical in most cultures. But the Irish have incorporated a, a stick that you play on on the head, and you use your other hand that's not holding the stick on the other side of the drum, the back side of the drum, to uh, to adjust the sound by muting or by tension, pressure on the head, things like that. So it's it's a lot of fun to play. Yeah, and it's a very versatile instrument, especially mm -hmm. when you're talking about playing tunes themselves because mm -hmm. of the tone that gets changed as he moves his hand back and forth. Mm -hmm. It really just starts to sound like another melody instrument in mm -hmm. some cases, um, especially when you're playing through a tune set. So less rhythmic and as much, can be as much melody. Right, it's got some, some tone, some pitch. Mm -hmm. uh, more follow like a, a bass line, mm -hmm. like sure. a bass right, guitar, yeah. that, right. that kind That's of fair. thing with the, you know, some supporting the low end. And then Kat, you mentioned the fiddle. Yes. So <laughs> when you play violin with the band, how is that different than you would play, like, let's say the members of the orchestra play? Sure. Uh, stylistically, it is um, a bit different, which I'm excited to share some of that with um the string section in particular, because the bowing is um, not what you would think. Mm -hmm. uh, it definitely slurs across bow, um, bar lines in a, in a not natural way in some aspects. Um, but what it does- Or is not like, natural to, to what they're used to. Well, sure, yeah. absolutely, to not a typical classical musician. Yes. Um, but it, is, it opens up a lot, I think, for string players, and it creates a lot of different um, ways to connect with the string and create accent and, you know, um, melodic flow of the line. Um, I'm very excited to, uh, I don't know, get other string players involved in that process, sure. which is a whole lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the fun part about being playing the fiddle as opposed to playing the violin. They are the same instrument for your listeners. <laughs> I get that's my number one question I always get. What's the difference between a fiddle and a violin? Um, they're the same exact instrument. It's just a stylistic difference. Mm -hmm. um, and one that I enjoy a lot, and I get to just really lean into that with this band. So, In, in a way, you know, I always think of the violin and, and the Baroque violin and the stylistic differences there. This is just another stylistic difference right. in the way of playing exactly. yep. as, as well. So. Yep. And it involves a lot more percussiveness, I feel, um, as opposed to melodic framework. Um, yes, fiddle plays a lot of the melody and all of the tunes, but there's so much that you can do with technique that you might not even realize that you're already doing as a classical musician that, that then turns around and becomes even more percussive as a fiddler. Sure, so. sure. And then, David, you play the Irish whistle, right? Yeah, you just, you asked me before we started recording how I wanted it listed on the program. That's right. <laughs> and the instrument I play is alternatively known as a tin whistle. Exactly. Or a penny whistle. Yes. Uh, but I prefer to call it an Irish whistle for the same reasons you were just talking about. It's really about the mm -hmm. style in which it's played. Yeah. So um, uh, whistles, are used in lots of different folk music, mm -hmm. types of folk music in Africa and Asia and everywhere and, and Native Americans and all this kind of thing. And But um, the way you play it in, in Celtic folk music 
is is distinctly different and and has been much studied and emulated and um i've actually had the opportunity to study with a, a few you know uh, irish whistle players and of course every irish music every irish musician is a whistle player on top of everything because <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the first instrument that most of them start on when they're right. when they're very small children so it's just part of the the irish education system sure sadly not for me i'm a one-trick pony <laughs> <laughs> well one one way to you know to know what type of style you're doing when your instrument just put the region or the name of the country <laughs> associated with it and then that gives you an idea at least they're they're everyone as listeners can have an idea of what's identify with it yeah and then for the other musicians that are not here paul dreyer plays mandolin uh amongst many other instruments but for this concert he will be playing mandolin a little bit of harmonica as well um but paul also plays the banjo and the guitar and pretty much anything else you put in his hand sure (laughs) he plays a ton of instruments and then ian ian gill Mm -hmm. who we mentioned earlier plays Guitar as well, is that, yes, is that right? Yes, yes. And yeah. he will just be on guitar for this uh, performance, but he also plays mandolin and some bass mm-hmm. as well. Well, it's a wonderful group set of instruments. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, so when you play at pubs, how is that different than playing at other venues as, as, as a band? Is there anything you have to do differently, or is it? Well, it's usually a lot less formal, very informal, mm-hmm. and you interact with the crowd and try to get them involved and we do sing-alongs and clapping and you know dancing if possible and i it's... run off the stage and i stand on things yeah okay <laughs> runs Chairs. around the i'm expecting all of this so on, on, on <laughs> december 2nd so uh... well, all you got to do is ask so you're careful for what you ask for <laughs> so right? i can see this right. hopping off the stage into the audience mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. That's, that is a thing that I do. <laughs> Although it does end up scaring some people. They don't know how to react. When I run off stage, they're like, oh, oh no, do I look at her? <laughs> is, that, is that supposed to happen? Is that supposed to happen? Yeah, do al- they know she's not on the stage anymore? <laughs> we also take requests in, in pubs, which happens a lot less often in the symphonic world, sure. I think. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, let me ask just uh, a little bit about each of you. Kat, just tell us a little bit about your background, how you came into music and, and ended yeah. up with, with this group. Uh, so I started playing the violin at four years old and was taught strictly the Suzuki method growing up. But then I, my um, dad was very much like, if you are going to play the violin, you are also going to play the fiddle. So I started competing when I was seven. Um, and I did well in that. And then we I grew up in California, but we moved to Texas um, when I was in high school. And then I went to Texas Tech for school. And that's really where I think my Irish education really began um, in their um, Celtic ensemble with uh, Dr. Chris Smith, who we all know very well, um, very well renowned in our circle um, and community. And um, I actually ended up coming back to Dallas and really working in theater and starting to perform um, as a actor musician. And that's where Rick found me. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I was performing um, at Theater 3 in Dallas for their production of Once. And it's um, if you know anything about that movie mm-hmm. or um, the show itself, it is uh, set in Ireland. And 
Um, I actually ended up playing the ex-girlfriend, and that's literally her title in the show. She doesn't have a name. It's just the (laughs) ex-girlfriend. But she fiddles, and uh, that's how Rick found me. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he asked me to join the band, and I was like, yeah. (laughs) But I really didn't know what I was getting into um, when I showed up for that first rehearsal. I didn't realize that... These were consummate musicians of um, not just the Irish tradition. Mm. Um, across the board, everybody in this band is trained in multiple genres, have played in bands their entire lives, but are, are also incredibly um, talented arrangers and just, you know, consummate musicians. So. I feel often that I am very lucky to be in this band for that reason. I've I've said many times on on this right. podcast before, musicians usually have more than one job per se, and they have to do many different things to to right. for their art. And, Absolutely, and so. absolutely. And Rick, how about you? Uh, yeah, I started out on drum set uh, when I was five years old. Mother bought me a drum set. Typical story. I was beating on all the furniture. And so, get this boy some drums. In self defense, she yeah she she got a set of drums. And at the time, she was enrolled at uh, Jacksonville State University. She was a voice major. Uh, so she and she also played in the band, marching band, there. So she set me up with the percussion, one of the percussion professors for private lessons. So mm-hmm. I got started out just right out of the gate learning that and so uh that just developed through the years i kept playing drums and as i got older in junior high high school started playing with bands mostly you know rock music top mm-hmm. 40 or whatever mm-hmm. uh <clears throat> and then i went to uh troy university in alabama made majored in music and was uh trained to be a, a band director uh, so I graduated from there and actually kept playing. I got my teacher certificate, but I didn't pursue that at the time because I was still able to keep performing. So I preferred to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kept doing that for for a long time and got into Irish music. Um, same as I think a lot of people when Riverdance came, came out, out on mm-hmm. PBS. I uh, the dancing was, you know, caught my eye as as it does most people, but then I, I was listening to the music, and I really enjoyed the music. And I saw the Bowron being played, and I said, "That well, that's pretty cool." So I started going to the North Texas Irish Festival after that, and I, I really saw how, you know, the music was performed and the different instruments, and particularly the drum. And so I decided to pick up a a drum and I did and it's been I never looked back so uh just been enjoying the the Bowron ever since because it's you can do so much with it and so that got me here to the band I met David through sessions and in, in town mm-hmm. like jam sessions for Irish music you, you meet in the pubs and you play play tunes it's a small world you do it yeah. long enough yeah. this the music you start to exactly. meet other people doing it of course exactly so and here we are today. Yeah. yeah. I think Rick tends to be a little bit modest when he talks about his talent on the Bowron. He's actually one of the premier players uh, here in DFW. And um, 
has just taught so many people this very particular instrument. Mm -hmm. um, we're very, very lucky to have him. His skill and talent is incredible. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> you, can, you can pay me later. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll settle up. And David, how about you? I actually started, <clears throat> I was crazy about music my whole life, but I just started in school band in sixth grade playing the saxophone. And that all went fine until I got my first really big break was 1979 when I won the Richardson Symphony Young Artist Competition. Oh, wow. So there's wow. been a connection wow. for a long time with the RSL. Yeah, and I got to play under Chris Zeros mm -hmm. uh, over Richardson High School. Right. And um, Do you remember what you played? I played uh, the Ebert Concertino de Canberra. Oh, yeah. And there was a young violinist in the orchestra named Linda Proach. Who had just joined the group, right. and we and we have since become great friends. All of us, we're, we're, yes, we we run into Linda. <laughs> we, yeah, we run into Linda all the time, and, and she's still a member of the orchestra, and too. she is, yeah. and and just it's just a cool connection. Yes, but uh, I majored in in music for a couple of years at North Texas, and then I dropped out to be a a computer programmer. So uh -huh. did that on the did that on the side. No, it was my <laughs> it was my full time job for like thirty five years. But I kept playing nights and weekends, uh, doing the same thing: garage bands, cover bands, and playing with the Dallas Winds. Um, well, like like I said, many musicians do many different things. Yep. I don't just mean in music too. Right, they, they, right. They, you know, a lot of people have jobs outside of music. <clears throat> In order to do their music, too, or both, right. you know, yeah. it, it goes both ways. Right. And North Texas is such a great music area. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I was able to go out and play classical and jazz and rock and polka bands. Everything you and, wanted to. And everything, right. you know, yeah. it, it's just, uh, and I love that because I'm completely eclectic in my taste. I, <laughs> I, I just love jumping around and trying all the different styles. And then, mm -hmm. Even though I had had, you know, a penny whistle in my pencil jar at home <laughs> since I was a teenager, I, it wasn't until the early 2000s, right about the time I met Rick, that I, I got really interested in it. And again, it was through that. Here's a weird thread that kind of runs all through this. We played that same piece in the Dallas Winds um, that required the Irish pub band, okay. which later another band doing that pulled together this band and then uh, i don't know if we've ever talked about it but that piece so. was written for christmas group at texas tech oh wow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, there you go that's yeah. crazy so there's there's been forces pulling us together for a long time i'm here for it <laughs> so how do you balance you said you have an eclectic taste and you do all these different things how do you balance all of the different groups that you do and, and, and I, I stopped sleeping about 10 years yeah, ago it really <laughs> helped yeah. yeah it just gives me time for everything <laughs> so you so see you only think when you're in it that you don't sleep in it you know that's now right right you develop skills <laughs> right you do develop skills installing software on servers that <laughs> right. later serves you well as a musician yes and i i just i, I love playing listening um, and writing in all different styles. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's just gr the great joy of my life. So, Well, of course, I know you as a musician, but I know you as an arranger, too. And you've arranged things for the Richardson, that Richardson Symphony has played in the past for uh, previous holiday concerts. But we did a uh, concert with the Texas Country Reporter uh, 
a season or two ago, and that was a really big hit for us. And you did most of the arranging for that for that concert. Exactly, it was a um, a great opportunity that presented itself. Uh, I met Bob and Kelly Phillips at a Richardson Community Band concert where he was doing MC duties, and. I rushed up to him afterwards and just said I always wanted to meet him. And he told me about this idea of writing a symphony program that he could, he and his wife could narrate. And I said, I'm your guy. I, I can write this music. <laughs> and um, next thing you know, we had this show put together. And, and um, you guys were one of the first stops on that tour where we ended up. It was up, a big tour, yeah. We ended up uh, playing, I think, 14 concerts with 13 orchestras around the state. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was it was just a fantastic year celebrating their, their 50th anniversary on TV. It was well-received. Uh, it was well-received. Across the state. Oh, yeah. Everybody just loved it. And, and uh, they are the nicest people in the world and uh you could see uh just thousands of people around the state coming to just see them and enjoy their presence mm -hmm. it, it almost wouldn't have mattered what we did on stage but i really do feel like we put out something of good quality for a lot of people it was like coming to see family i mean that's right. so been around yes. so long and what it represents for the state of texas is, is a it was a big deal mm -hmm. yep and people showed up and their overalls and you know whatever it was it was a big slice of texas all for a whole year so i know david you and rick both do arranging and how how does that come about how does a musician decide i'm i, I need to make an arrangement of something what when did you start arranging I started arranging again in school band. Mm -hmm. it just you know, in seventh grade, I was I was manually writing out all this stuff because I was fascinated with you. You sit down in an ensemble to play, and you see this paper in front of you with somebody's name in the corner, and you like the song, and you want to know maybe more about the person who wrote it, mm -hmm. and it's just it feels kind of magical, you know. And so I've always wanted to know how things tick and and learn how you decide what this guy on this side of the room does versus what this gal does on the other side of the room how do you all make how do you make that fit together and uh, uh, i just i really enjoy that and of course I, i'm I assuming rick does as well because you performed one of his pieces last that's year that's right that's right yes it, mm -hmm. i always think of it this way there's a piece of music and it's written for when you say you know the name on the side the composer it's written for specific arrangement of instruments and all. But if it's not the same as what you have or what you want to perform, I, I always thought to myself, well, why are they the only ones that get to play this? Why yeah. can't we have a version that we can play? And so you well, make an arrangement for it. That's kind of how I, I got into it in, in high school initially um, because I was in marching band, of, of course, but we had a, a pet band which played the basketball games and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it was like a kind of like a, not really a jazz band, we didn't play jazz, but that type of instrumentation, just a smaller version with drum set and things. And so there was things that the marching band were, was doing and things I hear on the radio that I thought would be fun for the pet band to do. So I just started writing them down and I would go ask questions of the band director, you know, for transposing for, you know, the different instruments. Mm -hmm. And he was a big help. And then I went to school, of course, and was immersed in that for a while. But then I got away from it and was just performing and didn't 
think much about it for till I don't know till about 2012 or something like that. I just got hit. I I was hearing this in my head uh, a a Celtic arrangement of a mass like a Latin mass mm-hmm. with choral and all that. And it was in the back of my head for, for years. And then just one day I decided I'd just start writing it down. And so that's, that got me back into it and started doing more of that. It, you know, from a conductor's perspective, I, I look at the score and you're, you're, you're recreating, a, you know, what the composer has put on, on the paper. And, uh, you have to balance things out, you know, what, however it's orchestrated. Sometimes you don't have to do too much. You just leave it as it is. But sometimes you have to, you know, you know it's all about what happens in the audience, what it right. sounds like in the audience. And so sometimes you have to rearrange some of the dynamics or certain things like that. But as, mm-hmm. as an arranger, you're thinking of that, of course, uh, while, you're, while you're writing, yeah, while you're mm-hmm. actually making the arrangement, I'm sure. And, right. and what instruments work together and what, what blends and what doesn't, you know, what, mm-hmm. uh, so that always fascinates me from, from a performer's standpoint, how, what the thought process of an arranger or, or of a composer, because, you know, I'm always trying to, we do a Brahms symphony. I want to always make sure what Brahms have been pleased if we're doing this, this way, I want to make sure he, he would be happy with it because it's, it's his piece. But anyways, I, I always find that fascinating. Well, for me, for me, it it just came from years of listening. Uh, I'd listen to all types of music, and so I it's, it. I draw from things that I've heard mm-hmm. over the years, the ways Experience. ways I've heard yeah. them, and and things I liked, and the ways that those were arranged and put together. So I try to try to draw from that. And we have both of you guys. We've we've performed your arrangements in the past, and we're going to on this concert. So these arrangements that you've made now, how do you arrange for an Irish band with an orchestra accompaniment? What what goes through your mind when you're making these arrangements? I well, we were sort of making it up as we go, because <laughs> we we don't we don't know of any concerto grosso works for, exactly. for Irish band and orchestra, exactly. so. Uh, we just took what we know about the way we work as an ensemble about both types of groups, yeah. right? And then, and then, you know, imagine what if we had all these other forces at our disposal? You know, how would we uh, make it take it to that next level? Make it big? Make it you know heavy artillery? Holiday music. This will be the largest Irish pub band right. slash orchestra anyone's <laughs> ever heard before. You know? What you know, it's really what's kind of going through my mind as we're sitting here talking about arranging and and for the youth that are younger audience, younger part of our audience, we, we arranging is the original remix. Mm-hmm. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, so you know, you're you're arranging for an audience, or you're arranging for your moving pieces around to try and reimagine uh that's kind of what i i gather from the conversation right just trying to find a common language for the environment of the performance right for example one of the arrangements that rick did is a traditional scottish song that 
may not, it, it hasn't really been written in the format of a, a classical performance, mm-hmm. uh, often if ever. And um, I'm sure your process was like, basically, how do I put this mm-hmm. on paper in a way that's going to make sense both to a group of traditional Irish musicians and a classical symphony orchestra? Because mm-hmm. it's sometimes we're we're not always speaking the same language. Right. The I, the folk music can be more improvisatory or right. or or you know just you know not as as formally notated as you need to get through a, a large ensemble performance. Right, and you try to use the, the tools of the music with the, the dynamics and tempos and, you know, the retards and accelerandos and this type of thing to try to fit it in mm-hmm. to the orchestral setting, but yet get that feel of the, the free and the, it, the folk side of it it is very difficult to try to notate certain things right. because uh what can be heard sometimes can't be written right. <laughs> down in a way that everyone un- agrees or perceives what that written notation is well and a lot of this tradition is just based orally so much right. of it was handed down orally and so as we've you know progressed in our technology and been able to write things down um, it's been interesting to see how that has evolved and like how when we put it down on a piece of paper, huh, there are certain things that you lose mm-hmm. when you can't notate them. Um, and there, and that's why a lot of the tradition even now exists as an oral tradition because there are just certain things you cannot notate. In <laughs> um, all genres too, I always think of uh, of a quarter note just put one quarter note and if you put a dot underneath the quarter note a, st- a staccato marking well st- staccato really means detached or separated mm-hmm. but when you put a dot on it it looks like a little you you tap down to do a dot so it sounds like it's very short but there's all types of lengths of shortness <laughs> or length you know d- detached mm-hmm. is not always short but there's not a good way so so sometimes you put a little dash above the dot to make mm-hmm. it a little bit longer than the, the dot. That's right. But it's hard to see. And, and so sometimes in rehearsal, it needs to be a little longer, a little shorter. That can get ridiculous after a while. And some, you know, some musicians say, just go on, go on. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but just that one simple notation can be difficult. Imagine mm-hmm. everything else on top of that. Right. right. Yeah. All right. And, and it's not just what it means. It's, it's how you express that sound. Yeah. And so, if you put a line over that note, you have to decide what well, you have to explain amongst yourselves. Are we talking legato? Are we talking tenuto? Exactly. Are we talking the way that strings interpret that marking as opposed to the to way that wind wins? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And what, once you put a line over, over it, you're right. There's the beginning sound of the note, the duration of the note, and the ending sound. All these things start to take place for every note. Well, and in, you know, in jazz, you're... <clears throat> The jazz musicians are just going to say, well, what are my chord progressions? You know, give me a <laughs> B flat minor and, you know, they'll, they'll give me the chart and they'll fill it in. Right. Yeah. Right. So, tell, tell me <laughs> if it's swing or Latin and right, I'll take it from there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're talking about different genres and putting the Irish band with the orchestra together. And it, it reminds me of a, there's a story of Ella Fitzgerald who, who would take her music and perform with symphony orchestras and the orchestra's trained one way and she does her own thing right and uh 
the conductor stopped and said, Ms. Uh, Mr. Fitzgerald, I, I'm not understanding what you're doing here. And she said, honey, just keep the time. Go, you do what you do. Go forward, and I'll meet you on most of the downbeats of every bar, and I'll be with you at the end. <laughs> and so the conductor relaxed, just did their thing, and she did could go. Once she knew what they were doing, she could do everything that she wanted. Well, I think mm -hmm. that's the beauty, too, of combining genres is really just this idea of we have to meet each other in the middle and we don't have there's there's no strict rule in regards to um how we get there we we make the rule yes we make the the music and we make the the journey um for ourselves and i think that's the beauty of especially a concert like this mm -hmm. um bringing in this wild tradition of irish music into a more formal setting um that allows us to communicate to each other in a common language, but also introduce each other to something that doesn't necessarily always go together. I like how you said we make the rule. And in the classical world, of course, there's all these certain rules, but what really creates art is when the composers or performers went outside the, not, I don't want to say just break rules, but how they yeah. would expand or go beyond the rule and within the rule to, to get what they, we're trying to produce and Absolutely. I, that to Absolutely. me is can create the greatest artistic moments ever. And I think that's why we are so excited about this concert is really just getting to bend the rules a little bit <laughs> and uh, bring a little bit of ourselves, but also learn so much from this experience with the Richardson symphony. And it might bend the rules on our, what we do and what you do too. It's right. a combination of, of, of both. Yeah, that First rehearsal is going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and it won't look anything like the performance, I'm sure. Oh, right, right. Well, I don't want to give everything away, but let's, mm -hmm. uh, let's just, uh, for some of the, just name one of the arrangements you're, you've done for the orchestra, just so our audience has an idea of, of what, what they're going to hear. And, and tell us a little bit about the arrangement. Um, when I did, it's an instrumental, it's... Uh, I called it the Carol of Jigs. Mm -hmm. uh, a jig is a dance, uh, Irish dance. There are other jigs too, but uh, and there are several Christmas carols that have the same rhythm, the same type of feel as a as an Irish jig. So I took a few of those carols and put them together. Used to be called a medley. Now it's a mashup, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I, I it's twenty twenty three. We'll call it that this year. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but anyway, I took uh, took several of those carols and and put them together, uh, highlighting the different instruments in the group for for the different carols, and then uh, just just building all the way through. Um, it's it gets quite orchestral. And it starts out a little more pubby and Irishy, and then just builds and and has a a big finish. Big finish. But there's one carol in particular that kind of weaves in and out. I call it maybe an Easter egg or <laughs> maybe a little nugget going through there that's not listed in the names yeah. of of the uh, piece. So hopefully, some people will pick up on it. I don't know. I had fun with well, it. Well, we'll anyway. go to the Irish pub afterwards and we can talk about that. Okay, they, yeah, they say absolutely. No. Yeah. And David, one of your arrangements? I uh, 
did an arrangement that I call Irish Christmas Eve, which is, it's fairly short medley, but uh, I, I love the story behind it because it sounds at the beginning, it sounds just like Dick the Halls because it is and because it isn't. Uh, Deck the Halls actually comes from a, a Welsh folk tune from, I think, the 16th century uh, called Nosgallan, which actually means New Year's Eve. It's actually a New Year's Eve hymn from the Welsh tradition. But at some point, the Irish uh, found it and turned it into a dance, a dance we call the hornpipe in, in Irish um, dance terminology. Um, and they call it the Piper Through the Meadow Straying. And so that's the first tune is the Piper Through the Meadow Straying played by the Irish, our, our little band here. And then all of a sudden the brass jumps in full blast with Deck the Halls over the top of it. So uh, it goes back and forth between those. So you can hear the ancient version and you can hear the Irish version. And then, of course, in your head, you'll be hearing the words that Queen Victoria's, you know, master musician wrote couple hundred years later but mm -hmm. uh, uh after that um it, it uses a tune that we play all year round in uh irish pubs called the christmas eve reel which is just a a, a great uh really rocking um irish reel that, that's mm -hmm. great for dancing and and uh tapping your foot too and uh we we basically play that reel through twice but the orchestra keeps getting bigger and bigger behind us until we're it's full rock concert at the end. And this is one of the tunes that I'm excited to share with the strings in particular, because this one doesn't employ um, that fiddle aspect because they do play the melody of the tune with us at certain points. Um, and I had to go to David and be like, you know, I got to I got to change the Boeings in this. Right. He goes, OK, I said, please, please, <laughs> please, please fix what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so. that's this is, again, one of those. Um, crossover moments that's going to be really special and i'm excited about it <laughs> yeah, all the violins will be fiddling on that one Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure all arrangers when they put bowings in think the same because even two violinists aren't going to agree always on on the bowing so that's 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 a very much a feel uh thing so i'm glad i'm glad you were able to work together on that yeah, yeah. it's gonna be fun it's really exciting mm -hmm. and uh so throughout the concert we'll be collaborating there'll be some tunes that the orchestra the symphony does themselves too we have a couple of boston pops arrangements uh rudolph and uh a christmas scherzo and of course we'll have jingle bells and frosty and uh, we'll have some traditional carols old little town of bethlehem and so there's a mix of everything and we're not going to give everything away but that's just some of what you'll hear so well we are really looking forward to performing with you guys december 2nd uh 7 30 p.m at the Eisman Center. Thank you so yep. much for your time. Yeah. Enjoy talking Absolutely. to you. Kat, David, Rick, thank you very much for being here with us this afternoon. We really enjoyed it. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. We'd like to thank our podcast sponsors, Humanities of Texas, the Ray Charitable Trust, and Frost Bank. I want to remind everyone that tickets are available at the Eisman Center ticket office and on their website at eismancenter.com. Maestro, thank you. It's always great to chat with you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Portraits and Music with Maestro Clay Catorio. I'm your producer and co-host, Ross Sievertson. Remember, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes downloaded to you automatically. 
Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and it helps us to provide you with more great inside conversations from the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Until next time.